Welcome. I am your host, Manpreek, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week, I am joined by my guy, John Stargarian. You guys can follow him at MMAFox on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 38, headlined by a light heavyweight scrap between Tiago Santos and Johnny Walker. I don't think we're going to need the judges for that one, but I can't wait to break it down with my guy, John, so that we can get into the nitty-gritty of it. John, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen your face. How's everything been going, and how do you feel about the card that we got this weekend? Yeah, you know, I mean, life's good in terms of the betting. You know, I haven't brought the best introduction to your uh, to your, to your viewers <laughs> the first couple of weeks, but, you know, I feel good about this week. I think it's a I don't know. I, I think it's a card that has some potential to be entertaining. I think the fights, even the main event, are relatively low level for what you'd expect. But yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be fun. I think there's some decent betting spots and there's a couple decent prop spots as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think I went two of three on props last week in terms of the three best props yeah. to give. I think you went 0-3 or 1-3 and, and Cody went three of three. So we'll see actually how it ends up going. Let's see if we can reverse the fortunes and and get a trifecta here with all three of us hitting at least two props for, for the guys here. I did over, look over the uh, some of the props. I do have Cody's as well. He sent them in just about 20 minutes ago. And uh, yeah, I think we're, we're, we kind of align on certain spots. So I'm looking forward to hearing how we're able to break this thing down. So uh, just to remind you guys, before we kick things off, uh, obviously follow myself on Twitter. Like and subscribe to the video if you haven't already. And then show my guy John, John some love. Obviously, he has his Twitter handle on the screen right there for you guys. So make sure you guys go check that out. And then in the description below, you guys can find Cody's YouTube channel as well as the Club and Sub YouTube channel, which is the podcast that John hosts every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern with his uh, circus of guys over there. You got He has Luke from Sparring with Reality Betting. He has Legs, uh, Legs the Capper, and then obviously C, whenever you want to drop, drop in and show his face, he's in there as well. So you guys are going to get, get great content from those guys as well. All right. Shout out to everybody that's in the chat right now. We got 30 people kicking off the stream right now. I hope we get that up in to the triple digits by the time we get to the, the main card at least which i'm sure we will so let's just get things going let's not waste too much more time we got alejandro perez going up against johnny eduardo both guys that we haven't heard from in a long time minus 235 is uh alejandro perez plus 195 is the return on johnny eduardo johnny eduardo at a ripe young age of 41 years old last time we saw him inside the cage was june of 2018 where he got dart choked by nathaniel wood uh, his last win actually coming five years ago against Manny Gambirian. Shout out to anybody that remembers Manny Gambirian, Man Manny the Anvil Gambirian, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, Johnny Eduardo, old when he was fighting back then, even older now. So uh, Alejandro Perez, I believe he's 32 years old. Uh, like I said, last time he fought two years ago where he came up short against Yadong Song. Uh, and that was his, I believe that was the first time he had gotten finished since uh, getting that quick guillotine choke loss to Patrick Williams back in June of 2015. But usually a very durable guy. This is the kind of guy that I feel like he'll be able to go out there and kind of uh, uh, deal with uh, whatever... Uh, whatever uh, Johnny Eduardo is going to be throwing at him early in this fight. That's usually the strongest round for Johnny Eduardo is early, and then he starts to fade as uh, the fight goes on later, and that's where I think uh, Alejandro Perez is going to start to take over. A little bit of a question mark on both sides, considering the layoff for both guys, but I feel like you, you got to go with Perez here, man. He's been showing his durability. I do not think that Eduardo uh, hits as hard as Song Yudong, and I think it's going to be very difficult for Eduardo to go out there and, and pull off that early victory. So when we're talking about props here, um, 
Obviously, Eduardo seems to be fragile and delicate at times. So Alejandro inside the distance looking at plus 135. But Perez, you know, not a perennial finisher either, right? His last two wins, or sorry, his last win came by uh, decision. He did finish Matthew Lopez in round two. But if we all remember, Matthew Lopez kind of gassed her in his own right. The guy slows down. Uh, decision Yuri Alcantara before that. Decision Andrea Sukumtap before that. Like, he has a good amount of decisions on his record. I'd be kind of surprised if he goes out there and starts as Eduardo. Uh, I like Perez by decision, uh, which is plus 250. Um, but a good head share, Eduardo in round one, plus 650. Similar to Marlon Moraes from this past weekend, right? Where we almost had that scare where Moraes actually pulled it off. So be sure uh, to to hedge if that's what something, something you want to do. But I do like Perez here, Perez by decision, plus 250. How are you seeing this one, brother? <clears throat> yeah, I, it's kind of a weird fight, right? Like this is a fight that could have been booked like five years ago would have made yeah. a bit more sense, right? But I don't know. With all that said, it's kind of funny because like I'm kind of I keep saying kind of, but with you in general on in like the Perez side, just because I mean, if I was getting Johnny Eduardo four or five years ago, I'd almost certainly bet him at this line, right? But you know, he is 42, and we're talking about a fight at bantamweight where, you know, guys at bantamweight tend to age out a lot quicker just because, you know, the speed and scale difference down there. And so just on that alone, I'd probably have to favor Perez in this spot. And in terms of the fight itself, look, I mean, I, it's kind of funny because Eduardo did get finished by Nathaniel Wood, but I actually thought he looked pretty good in that fight before the finish, to be completely honest. And so, like, I kind of think he could – if he's not totally shot – I kind of think he could complete, compete with Perez on the feet here, um, especially because, you know, Perez just has that really low volume tendency and can just let guys get ahead of him on minutes. And so but that's a huge if, right, whether or not Aurora is shot. In terms of technical ability, I do think Perez is probably a bit more technical and a bit more well-rounded. I don't expect him to come out and dive on legs, but he, I imagine he has a slight grappling edge here as well if you wanted to go to it. I, I just – I don't have a strong opinion. I guess my opinion is really that – Perez should win this fight unless, you know, he's just done as well. But 10-year age gap, Perez is two years away from 30. Eduardo is 12 years away from 30, right? Uh, in terms of the prop side of things, it's kind of weird. I, <laughs> did you know this is favored to end inside the distance? Yeah, that, I, With, I think it's more so the fragility of Eduardo over his last couple losses that people are looking at a little bit too hard. And I think that might be an overcorrection here, especially with a guy like Perez, who, again, not a perennial finisher, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, even at Perez's absolute peak, you know, he can hit a bit, but he's not a guy who's going to throw, like, crazy volume at you. And he's not, I don't think, a massive one-punch KO threat. And so I'm just looking at that and thinking, you know, if I had to play something here, give me, like, the over two and a half, like, plus 125, right? I, I mean, I'm kind of, you know, bantamweights don't hit super hard for the most part as it is. And here you have... I think Perez is off a three-year break and Eduardo is at like four years or something like that, but neither guy has fought recently. So it's pretty easy to imagine them kind of struggling to get into it early and you just kind of get a low volume affair. Yeah. I mean, I like the over a lot here. If you want to go Perez by decision, I think that's fine as well. But yeah, I think I'd be trying to just kind of fade the consensus and just be putting money behind this goes, goes the distance. Yeah, very. I'm I'm kind of glad that they are matching up guys that are coming off of lengthy layoffs yeah. here, just so we can kind of throw out that narrative of like ring rust for either of these guys because both of them are gonna have ring rust. Um, but yeah, very much looking forward to seeing what J Johnny Eduardo looks like as well. 41 years old, the guy used to be a banshee, 
and see if he can still keep it up here. All right, let's keep the train moving along. We got Shana Young going up against Stephanie Egger. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 130 for Egger and plus 110 for Shana Young. Now, Egger actually opened up as the dog, uh, got up to plus 105, and then the money started coming in on her. Uh, Shana Young made her UFC debut on short notice against Macy Casson, down a weight class, uh, or sorry, up a weight class, I should say. And now she's still going into this uh, uh, up a weight class. She's going at it again at bantamweight. Uh, if you look at her her record historically, at least as recently before the UFC, uh, she was 125. So I'm interested to see why she decided to go up to 135 pounds here against Stephanie Egger. Egger, famously known as the judoka. Uh, I believe she competed against Ronda Rousey, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe beat her, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but she was up there, very highly acclaimed, um, and then comes into the UFC and uh, loses to Tracy Cortez, which stylistically, a little bit of a difficult matchup for her there. Here, though, from, from memory if it serves me right and john i'm actually gonna let you carry the majority of this breakdown here uh shannon young got absolutely out muscled by macy chaos on her last fight and i feel like stephanie yeager a much more refined grappler and a much better judoka should be able to get this fight to the ground with shannon young relatively easily and then get her jujitsu game going uh i i've seen a couple stephanie yeager submission props out there that people have been throwing out and i gotta say i kind of like it just off, just off the the top here, plus plus 500, plus 600 for Egger by submission. I don't think Shannon Young really is the best. Um, or, again, not even that good, to be honest. I don't even want to say the best. Not even that good. Uh, and I think that this is a prime spot for Egger to pick up her first one inside the UFC. How do you feel about this matchup? Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, in terms of props, like I said, Egger by submission is probably what I'd go with. But even Egger money line, minus 130 is not too bad of a line if, yeah. you know, if I truly believe what Egger is what she, what she is. Uh, how do you feel about this fight? Yeah, I actually bet Egger at minus 105 here. I'm I'm not like passionate about it. I kind of think neither Young nor Egger is probably UFC caliber, to be honest. What I will say is, I mean, each of them brings one thing that's decent to the table. Like on the Young side of things, you know, she will bite the mouthpiece and throw in the pocket. She is not afraid to throw down and she will put out really serious volume you know you saw it against macy uh, macy was touching her up but she was yeah. not backing down from that fight and just kept coming at her um and so i give her credit for that and then on the egger side like i don't really rate anything about egger stand up at all i think it's absolutely terrible and i think the first time she fights a girl that's going to outfight with her and be able to kind of just use the cage and circle she's just going to be toast uh but she does if she can get her hands on you you know she does have an okay like trip game and judo game and in top position she's quite aggressive and pretty good at locking down position and so that's kind of where the rubber meets the road here because you know if you tell me it's going to be a 15 minute stand-up fight for me that's going to be shannon young all day the problem for me is you know i kind of touched on the outfighting aspect of it and shannon young i haven't really seen any ability for her to outfight and just kind of play the stick and move game it's really more just kind of go into the pocket bite the mouthpiece and throw and so Look, I mean, if Edgar obliges her that fight, sure, she can win this fight at a pretty good clip. I don't think Edgar's going to do that, though. And I, you know, I have seen Shani Young now four or five separate fights get either choked out or have her back taken and getting badly beaten up on the ground. Pretty much once she gets put into a clinch position or gets put on the mat, she, her natural instinct is to give her back up right away. Um, Edgar is a somewhat decorated jiu-jitsu practitioner. She's obviously a black belt in judo. She's participated in ADCC. I'm not saying she's an elite submission grappler, but I do know Edgar will look for takedowns, and if she gets her down, we'll put hooks in, uh, which is pretty much really what I need to see. And so the question really comes down to whether or not Edgar can get her down, and 
you know, like I said, I just don't really rate Young's footwork at all. And yeah, so it's possible I'm misreading the fight and Edgar is worse than I think she is. I, that's certainly possible. She's not a great athlete at all. But I do think if Edgar gets her hands around her and gets her on the mat, she's going to put her in really bad positions pretty much every time she gets her down. So I like Edgar on the money line. In terms of props, I like Edgar inside the distance. You know, submission's not bad, but she will throw some ground and pound, you know, if she gets the back and she gets you flattened out. So I think, you know, plus 300, you know, that's a pretty good price to cover both ends of it there. So, yeah, I like Edgar in the spot. I wouldn't hate a stab at the ITD. I like it. I like it. Glad that our, our thoughts kind of match up there. Uh, but it all depends on Edgar and her success uh, in terms of implementing the grappling and get this fight to the ground. All right. A fight that I don't expect to hit the ground, but I'm very much looking forward to next is D Douglas Silva D'Aldraj going up against Gaetano Pirello. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 245 for, I like to call him the poor man's version of John Lineker, and plus 205 for Gaetano uh, Pirello. Um, I, I'm I'm liking me some Dion Drage in this spot. Now, Perello can be dangerous early in this fight. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like his cardio does start to fall off the later fights go. That's something that I noticed pre-Ricky Simone. Uh, and then even my, my biggest gaffe this whole year is not locking up Ricky Simone inside the distance against that guy. I think the only thing I played was Ricky Simone round one, and then somehow that guy sneaks into round two, and then Ricky Simone <laughs> quickly murks him after that. But just taking Simone inside the distance in that spot seemed like a no-brainer. Now, in this spot, I still feel as though that Douglas Silva DeAndraj could potentially get him out of there a little bit later in this fight maybe second or third round, but I don't want to take too much of a, a chance there. I'd rather just, I don't mind the juice here on Douglas, man. I, I Again, he's he's known to be flaky at times, but I feel like this is a perfect stylistic matchup for him to go out there and do what Douglas Silva DeAndre does. I think Perlo, like I said, will, will have his moments in the first round, but the longer that this fight goes, man, I think that he's going to be in trouble. And I, you know, although I started this breakdown off by saying I'd be surprised if this fight hits the ground, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gaeta, or sorry, uh, uh, Douglas try to yeah. drag this fight to the ground and even impose his will a little bit more there. So um, I like Douglas here. I, again, not so keen on a, a specific method of victory prop, uh, but if you are putting a gun to my head, I will go with Andrade by decision at plus 175. Uh, just, again, I, I, I'm not sure what to expect with Douglas as well, right? It's It feels like it's been a little bit since we've... Uh, I just want to quickly confirm the, the last time he stepped in the cage here. Uh, it was uh, Lerone Murphy, yeah, back in January. So he's had about nine months off. Gaetano, I believe, fought on the same. Yeah, great fight there as well. And I believe the Gaetano was on the same card there. Yeah, same card that they fought against Ricky Simone. Uh, so same amount of time that these guys have had off. I do lean Douglas, though, man. Even though he looks like he's 72 years old, the guy is an absolute beast, and he can go out there and put some big hands on his opponents, and I do feel like he'll have the grappling advantage should it get to that extent as well. So, uh, yeah, Douglas Andrade by decision. But again, don't mind the chalk on him at minus 235. How do you feel about this matchup? So usually you and I chat a couple times before we go live in the week. You tell me what your lock of the night is. We talk bets. We haven't really chatted this week. Is Andrade yeah, your lock of the night? Uh, no, he's not. But okay. I haven't made my lock of the night play yet. Don't make it yet. Let me yes. talk to you about a fight a little later <laughs> on this card. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hit me, brother. Hit me. I will. I'll, I will. I'll tell you when we're there. But I agree with you. I actually kind of think. I guess I'm a little nervous about betting Andrade at the price just because traditionally he hasn't been a very grapple heavy guy um, yeah. and he is aging a bit, but I do mostly agree with you. Like I don't really think unless Perello puts him out on the feet, I don't really see a lot of outs for him in this fight and how he wins it. I, I don't think he can out, you know, look, 
I and I look, I don't want to MMA math it here, but like I am a bit of a fan of Lerone Murphy. I think Lerone Murphy's yeah. a pretty damn good striker. And Andrade held his own in that fight on the feet up at 145 against a much bigger guy in Lerone Murphy. And so I just I can't really see Perella winning minute standing, uh, maybe a KO. And kind of to your point, while Andrade like historically hasn't been a big takedown guy. I wouldn't be shocked if he attempted two or three here. You know, he's done that before, and Perello's grappling is so bad. I actually yeah. bet Simone by submission against him in that fight, I which see. was a beautiful cash. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, and so I kind of think Andrade wins. Unless he just gets melted, I think he wins the fight any way he wants. What I will say is there's a couple ways I'm thinking about playing it or that I, I would think about playing it. The first is the under, because like you said, pro kind of slows down. Like he's going to come forward and go crazy. And Andrade can hit, man. He can, he can crack a bit. And so I kind of think if it's at the pace and is accustomed to fighting, you know, him putting Perello out late is, you know, a very live outcome. And the other way, um, actually the line on this is not, Oh no, it is a good line. I was about to say, I kind of think, like I just told you, I bet Simone by submission a plus 600, I kind of think Andrade by submission plus 1,400 isn't a bad look. Wow. You know, I, I know it's not. I'm oh, just saying that's a long shot. Don't go put a bunch of money on it. Yeah. But what I will say is, you know, Perello is such a bad defensive grappler on so many levels. Like, he's awful. Like, I know that Brazilian jiu-jitsu isn't like Andrade's thing, but I think he's a brown belt, if I'm not mistaken. And if he does get a takedown or two – he might not need much more than that to submit pro here. Again, I'm not saying it's likely, but I do think the line is probably very short here. So I'm saying under, and I'm saying long shot and drudge by submission. I, I'm kind of surprised by that uh, that submission prop, man, or at least the, the number on it. Plus 1,400 yeah. seems a little bit crazy considering the, the lack of experience and lack of expertise uh, Gaetano actually shows on the ground here. Uh, not to mention four out of the six losses coming via submission as well. So that's definitely a narrative I wouldn't mind here. Um, and if yeah. I'm not mistaken, didn't Andrade take Jan down twice? I'm pretty sure. I just pulled up the uh, the statistics here. So Douglas uh, landed a takedown on the Roan, uh, did not land any on Piotr, okay. uh, landed one on Marlon, landed two on Rob Font, landed one on Briones, and that's about it. Right. Uh, so, I mean, he's going to be able to get takedowns if yeah. he wants. That, that's the, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, it is all about not getting melted in that first round. But with that yeah. said, Gaetano Perello in round one is currently sitting at plus 900. So take that as you may. I, I don't know. Let me ask you something. <laughs> Do you think – I kind of get the feeling with Perello that, like, I know he has a bunch of early finishes, but that that's really him just being hyper aggressive against bums and like cage warriors. I don't get the feeling that he has like big translatable power to the UFC at 135. You think so? Yeah. I, I we see no, we see that though. I I, I mean, like we, we see guys that are notorious finishers on the regional scene come to the UFC and they're not able to replicate those finishes, right? But again, like we're trying to scratch the surface here in terms of finding yeah. out how he can finish fights. And historically speaking, it's all been first round finishes, right? Do you see him <laughs> winning a decision? Do you see him no, winning by submission? No, no. Right? I, like <laughs> I'm just saying, I get it that that's the path. I, I just like I know he has a reputation of being a big hitter. I just don't really get that feeling myself when I when I watch a fight. 
you know. Yeah, Pirello by KO plus 450, plus 550, depending on where you're looking at. But if you want to get salty with it or or a little bit fancy with this, sorry, I should say Pirello by submission plus 2600. I'm just saying, John. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I will say this. I do like that uh, Andrade submission prop plus 1400. Definitely worth a little bit of a sprinkle here. And again, if he's... If he has any inkling of fight IQ here, I feel like he'll drag this to the ground yeah. and not even risk trying to get knocked out here by a guy like Perello. So, yeah, glad, glad we're on the same side here with Andrade. And don't be surprised if you see him in, as a potential lock of the night play. Uh, again, possibly partly with something, which <laughs> I feel like is a lock of the night play no matter what. And we'll get to that once we uh, once we get to that fight. So let's just keep this train moving along. Next up, we got... Um, why won't my page load up here? Here we go. Uh, we have Jamie Malarkey going up against Devontae Smith. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at uh, minus 150 for Devontae and plus 130 for Jamie Malarkey. Initially, my lean was Devontae Smith when I first like skimmed the odds here. Then I'm like, things could get iffy for Devontae the later that this fight goes. Like, I, I really did underrate jamie malarkey for a long time but then after his last couple performances i kind of like he could go out there and beat a guy that is seemingly a ko or a bus kind of guy now don't get me wrong Devonte smith obviously improving his skill set every single fight out and he's still a a little bit of a prospect right he can still be molded into a finished product so we might be able to see a better version of it this time around but if jamie malarkey's uh, durability could hold up here he could cause Devonte smith some issues Right, I know we know he has big power in his hands, like he knocked out to Kamalworthy last time around, and we know Devonte Smith possible chin issue. Like if he gets caught as well, yeah. he could possibly get put down, uh, just like he did against the guy that Jamie Malarkey just murked, Kamalworthy. Um, but but the people, a lot of people like to look at that Ferris ZM fight for Jamie Malarkey, but that's very unfair to do, especially when you're talking about this specific fight. Are you going to see Devonte Smith on his bicycle jabbing from the outside and maintaining his distance? No. The guy's going to do a decent work with uh, or do a decent job with light kicks, uh, good, decent combinations. Obviously, wants to unload that power so that he can, like, you know, get, get the job done as early as possible. But I feel like he might struggle if he's not able to get the guy out of there early here, right? Um, Justin James, you guys already know how I feel about Justin James. I actually bet Justin James plus 600 round one against uh, Devontae Smith just for the fuck of it, just to see what would happen. And obviously, it didn't work out for us there. But I'm kind of leaning Jamie Malarkey here, man. Jamie Malarkey by decision is obviously the way I would go here. I'm not completely ruling out uh, Malarkey KO, which currently sits at plus 380. But uh, Smith by decision plus, or sorry, uh, Malarkey by decision plus 380. Talk to me. How how do you feel about this matchup? I do like Malarkey. I have not bet it yet. I am thinking of betting it. Unfortunately, the money was moving towards Smith. And I thought it would keep going that way, but it looks like it seems to have leveled off a bit. It, it's kind of interesting because I had pretty much the exact same thoughts as you. You know, Bet Online puts out the odds like usually a couple of weeks before. Yeah. And that was one of the fights I looked at, and I was like, fuck, Devontae Smith minus 140 against Jamie Malarkey. Jamie Malarkey's a punching bag. Smith looked good in his last fight. And like I was almost sure I was gonna play it. Like word for word, bro. Word for <laughs> word in my head. Continue. Sorry. And then I rewatched though. So the first thing I did, I taped this over two separate sessions. I sat down like at like 11 at night and I was like, all right, I'm probably gonna bet Smith, but let me just tape this and make sure. I put on the first fight I rewatched the James fight, and I was just like, "Well, I'm definitely not betting that Smith. I'll put this to that. I'll go, I'll get back to this tomorrow. <laughs> put the computer away." Um, but yeah, going through James, he didn't look as good against James as I had recalled. To be completely honest, like he looked fine, but he's much bigger than James is. He's much faster than James is, and in fairness, he's going to be much faster than Jamie Malarkey is. 
But like when I watch Smith, all I think in my head is like, this is a guy who's made not many tangible improvements since his regional time. You know, he pretty much is a huge hitter who's very fast, and that's kind of it. You know, I haven't really seen whether or not he's improved his grappling. The last extended grappling footage we have of him was him getting dominated by John Gunther, right? <laughs> so oh, yeah. now that was five years ago. He could have gotten better. I don't really know if he did or not. And he's at a good gym, so maybe. But even striking, like, I'll tell you, when guys have gotten inside on him, he doesn't have much defense. You know, we saw Kama put him out. We saw Janes hurt him bad in that fight. And so, yeah, I have concerns about Smith. And with Malarkey, look, I get why people don't like Jimmy Malarkey. You know, he's not very athletic. Um, he's very easy to hit. But, like, you, I think you have to contextualize, you know, his career to date a little bit. Like, you go look at his losses. He got KO'd regionally by Alexander Volkanovsky. Fights Brad Riddell in his first fight in the UFC. And I think a lot of people came away from that with the takeaway, oh, my God, Jamie Malarkey's really bad instead of, you know, Brad Riddell's actually really fucking good. And, look, he obviously beat the shit out of Malarkey, but Malarkey kept coming at him for 15 minutes there. He actually hurt Riddell in that fight. Um, and then fight. in his next fight with Zion, you know, I actually think Zion's pretty good for Zion, and that was a really, really close fight. And then, obviously, he went out there and knocked out Kama in his last fight. In terms of this matchup, look, Smith is a big speed advantage. He probably is a big power advantage. But what I do know is I think there's a lot – there's more layers to Malarkey's game than there is to Smith's. You know, Smith may be the better pure striker if these guys are going to hang outside at range for 15 minutes and strike. But I know when I bet Jamie Malarkey, I can rely on him to bite the mouthpiece and go forward. He is going to put out output the whole time. He's going to make Smith work, and he's going to attempt a ton of takedowns. So with that in mind, I'm kind of with you. I think Smith's a bit fragile, to be honest. I really didn't like how he's reacted to shots his last couple of fights. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, if you look at Smith's career, it's mostly KO1s, even when he got KO'd, and then the Janes fight. And so we haven't seen it play out much, but I didn't like – I haven't liked how he's reacted to shots. Malarkey can crack a bit. Um, and, look, it's possible Smith improved his defensive grappling. But if he hasn't, he's going to get finished on the bottom here. Uh, that's my own opinion anyway. And so I kind of like the under plus 110, under 2.5, because it does cover the Smith KO, which obviously is live and usually happens pretty early. I also, if you want to get a bit spicier, Malarkey inside the distance of plus 280, I don't hate it. So that's kind of that's kind of my view on this fight. I like Malarkey on the money line. I like the Malarkey ITD. Um, I like the under. I got to say, I thought the line would have been wider. You know what I mean? I, I really thought yeah. that we would get like Devontae Smith, maybe minus 200 or something, given, you know, the, yeah. the, the perception that we have of him. He, it looks like he opened up around minus 135, uh, got all back, all the way down to minus 165, and then back up to the minus 140-ish, minus 150 range. So we're Dude, not the only ones. Minus 250 against Julian Arosa and minus 1,000 against Kama Worthy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's crazy, but you know. <laughs> no, absolutely. I agree with you. Uh shout out to Uncle Weezy here saying uh if Jamie doesn't dirty this fight up, initiate the clinch and attempt a ton of takedowns, he's gonna get slept. It, it could have happened. It, it it could absolutely happen as well. All right. If Jamie doesn't do what he does every fight and needs to do to win, he's gonna lose. I I agree with <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> it's, it's always good when we have visual evidence of a fighter implementing the game plan that we want him to. Yes. So perfect. All right. Let's move this thing along. Uh, possibly talking about 
boat for the last time here. We got Betch Cohea going up against Carol Hosa, minus 600 on Carol Hosa and plus 450's return on Betch Cohea. I'm I'm big on Carol Hosa, to be honest. I think she has a lot of skills that are going to be able to translate into something. The more that she competes, the more experience that she gets under her belt, I do think that she'll be able to enter at least that top 10 to maybe top 7 range and then really start to face a ton of adversity there. Good striking, in, in my opinion. Her ground game is getting better. I know she got subbed uh, on the regional scene. I'm trying to rack my brain by who but uh another fighter that's in the ufc right now oh, uh, got um, who she got subbed by yeah a fighter the that you kick did. over the chick who keeps losing to kayla harrison in pfl <laughs> uh who missed weight in the last fight uh larissa pacheco yes, her. no it was uh melissa gato actually the one that oh, oh, oh you're right melissa you're gato right. actually comored her as well but gato looking very intriguing obviously after her ufc debut as well but with that said um great striking i believe she's a black belt in jiu-jitsu now no. um and with betch koea we know what we're usually getting with her right she moves forward no technique in terms of her striking just throws uh, tries to go to on and fight her and then initially or and then quickly get knocked out like she did against holly Holm. um i will say this about betch durable you know what i mean she hasn't been knocked yeah. out that much uh she can go 50 minutes uh and then every now and then she'll pull off that upset like she did against the jar eubanks but i think that we're getting a a better stylistic matchup here with Carol Hosa than we got with Sajari eubanks back then minus 600 a lot of people in women's mma will think that's a little bit wide I think that's kind of perfect for this matchup, to be honest. Like, Carol Hosa is that much better than Betch. I, I just don't see how Betch wins this fight. Like, it, will she finagle her way to a split decision somehow? You know, it, it could be on volume, but I think that uh, Carol Hosa will be responding pretty much every single combination and just landing with much, with much more efficiency and a much more effectiveness. So I do like Hosa here. There could be finishing opportunities that open up for her, but I'm just not sure if she'll actually put the pedal to the metal there and actually get the finish. I'm I'm going to go with the safe side here. I'm going to go with her by decision, which is obviously chalk. Minus one, uh, what is that? Minus 170 right now is what it's sitting at. Makes absolute sense. I, I'd probably bet that uh, if I was going to bet this fight at all. Will I have Carol Hosa in a couple of Hail Mary parlays? Probably. She's a nice little cherry on top because I feel as though she should go out there and do absolute work here. Uh and then on the flip side here, obviously, for Kohea, for her to win by decision is plus 675. That's probably her best path to victory as well. Am I too high on Hosa here? You're usually the guy uh, to, to go to, to to kind of big up some underdogs. Are you big enough bet Kohea at all here? Man, I'll be honest. Like, there's a part of me that's tempted. But, like, you kind of you kind of touched on it a little bit where you're like, oh, you know, what's her best path, a volume-based decision? And it's like... So want to talk about volume? Path. Should I bring up some numbers? Should I bring up some numbers here no, for Carol? I, that's Hosa? what I'm saying. Her best path is 171 <laughs> significant strikes against Laura Procopio, 120 significant strikes against Vanessa Mello, and then 57 significant strikes against Jocelyn Edwards. Although she managed to accrue 11 minutes of control time. And how many fight. total strikes did she land? Probably over 200, I'd imagine. Uh, total strikes. 135 yeah she, I mean, 135 kind of, of 175 so like her accuracy case, was pretty good too <laughs> i there's a case to be made that bet like because when i saw the line initially and it was Beth that's plus 250 i was like i might play batch like she's fought nothing but legends you know she hung tough with irene aldana you know she probably keeps this close but you know the more i look it's just like yeah okay volume-based decision art nobody's really come i mean i guess procopio kept it competitive standing yeah. but i do think you know hosa's volume is such it's plus her size she's so much bigger than betch it's going to be 
really hard for Betch to close distance. I don't know. I just struggle to see Betch winning minutes that doesn't involve wrestling, but I don't think Betch is a great wrestler or her hurting Hosa. Now, that is something that is possible because Hosa is there to be hit. Like we saw that in the Procopio fight. But Betch isn't really a big hitter. So it's just like, I don't know. Could the line be narrower? Maybe. But I don't feel passionately about it. Uh, to be honest, I don't feel passionately about a ton of props here. So I'm not going to give you a prop that you're going to play for a lot of money to win money. I'm going to give you a prop that you're going to gamble on and try to win a lot of money on. So my general thinking here is, let me just pull it up again. Here we go. Rosa, round two, KO, TKO. It's about plus 1,800 depending on the book you have. I, hey, you know, if, I, I'm not going to tell them to go bet a prop that I don't think has any value. And so yeah, no, I get my, you. my general thinking here is, you know, the first round might be a bit of a feeling out process, but I kind of think by the three or four minute mark, Hosa's going to start to get her timing down and probably just start lighting Betch up. Um, Betch is not immune to being knocked out. We've seen it happen in the four. We've seen her get hurt badly several times. And so I kind of think once Hosa finds the range, you know, she's going to start just beating Betch up pretty badly. I think a late round one, early round two stoppage is in play. And so I guess with that being the case, you could take a stab at the under. I just think it's so – the finishing upside here is so front-loaded in Hosa's favor that maybe you play Hosa ITD. But, again, I'm not, like, super, super passionate about it or anything. I think Hosa big fave makes sense, but I could see her winning the fight in, like, five or six different ways, you know? Yeah, exactly. Again, uh, minus 600 in women's MMA, usually a recipe for disaster. But given the yeah. stylistic matchup we have here, I, I'd be stunned. I'd legitimately yeah. be stunned. I um, hope that wins. I love that. It would be yeah. great to see her go out with a W. I just don't I don't see it really. Let's let's keep this trade moving along before I lose <laughs> something. Uh, Anthony Shevchenko going up against Casey O'Neill. Talk about heavy women's favorites that probably shouldn't be heavy favorites. Minus 210 for Casey O'Neill. Plus 175 for Antonina Shevchenko. I, I lean the Shevchenko side of things, but obviously it gets very, very worrisome in terms of her grappling deficiencies at times, right? That's definitely something that we need to worry about here. It seems like Casey O'Neill, when she has success, she's dragging bitches to the mat and just mashing them up on the ground. She could do that here against Shevchenko, but on the feet, I think that Shevchenko has recovered pretty wide. Yeah, you know I mean, I think that, that, that she has a pretty solid... Advantage of the striking game here. I do understand. I do feel you. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think that uh, if she's able to keep it up, right, man, she she should have tremendous success. She could possibly even knock out Casey O'Neill, who seems a little bit too wild and reckless at times, especially in terms of closing distance. But again, if Casey gets this fight to the ground, things could get very scary for uh, Shevchenko as well. I think the under is sneaky here. Uh, plus one ten, plus one hundred, depending on where you're looking at, under two and a half. I think both girls have finishing capabilities. I, I lean, I don't know, man, uh, ever so slightly, I lean on the Shevchenko side, and I think she'll actually be able to land that KO here. Um, Shevchenko KO currently sitting at plus 800, which I think is absolutely insane. Uh, Got to take a little bit of a stab on that. And then obviously on the on the O'Neill side of things, you know, if she does get this fight to the ground, she could do it. Uh, she could have a TKO, ground and pound, or a submission or something like that. But very volatile fight. But I think that it's going to bring violence. I think that O'Neill's style of just always being aggressive will force a finish in this fight. And the under two and a half is very, very intriguing to me. Uh, I lean the Shevchenko side in terms of a, a prediction or, or striking very good. But if she can stuff a couple takedowns here, she should have tremendous success on the feet. How do you feel about this matchup? So, like, here's my question for you, Locke. And it's kind of one that I've had for, like, a few people this week. It's like, if you didn't know, if you were to just take the Shanna Dobson fight, 
Casey's regional footage and the first round of the Procopio fight, what would you rate her as a grappler? Okay. Like she wasn't known as this, <laughs> like what she's known as now right. when <laughs> she came into the UFC. She does it to Shana Dobson. Yeah, I mean, she does it to Procopio, whatever. Now she's Khabib all of a sudden. She got reversed and mounted by Shanna Dobson in round one of that fight. Like this is like you get what I'm saying. Like yeah. I, I appreciate Casey O'Neill's willingness to be very aggressive. Aggression and physicality goes a very long way in WMMA. Uh, I do think as she gets older and comes into her own a bit more, she may refine some of those holes in the grappling. Frankly, I think her aggression actually leads her to getting reversed a lot and put in bad spots herself. Um, but I don't like. Catelyn Chukagian is actually a very good grappler. You know, she's a dad in her yes. brown belt, you know, which, you know, uh, you know, sharp people, not me. I bet Shevchenko in that fight, like a fucking square. <laughs> but, you know, sharper people than myself bet Chukagian. You're like, oh, you know, she's going to go for takedowns. I didn't really buy it. And then she didn't dominate it. Andrea Lee, we knew was a very good grappler. Yeah. Um, Roxanne Modafferi, you know, Roxanne has some wrestling issues, but if she can get you down and once she gets on top, she's very dangerous on top. And by the way, it's worth mentioning the Roxanne fight, yes, Roxanne took her down five times and won a split decision. She kept getting up in that fight and lighting her up, though. You know, and I would say Roxanne's top game is considerably better than Casey O'Neill's top game. And so, like, I look at this and it's like, yes, you know, all the questions about Shevchenko, you know, what happens to her are there. But I mean, what if O'Neill can't take her down or can't hold her down? Which I think is more alive than people are giving it credit for. Like Roxanne. Andrea Lee and Catelyn Chukagian are all top 10 flyweights. Chukagian and Lee top five. And Chev was favored in all of those fights. And now she's here as a big dog to Casey O'Neill. Like, okay. If it turns out O'Neill can't get her down, like, I mean, she's going to get fucked up, to be honest with you. And, you know, I don't think O'Neill's first level entries are very good. And so she does a lot of her work in the clinch. And Shevchenko is just a much better fighter in that position. And then when it comes to distance, look, I think any reasonable person would say, yeah, Shevchenko is a much better distance striker than Casey O'Neill is. But fun little fact for you, not many people know. Casey O'Neill's first two amateur fights, she got flatlined in under a minute twice in WMMA. Like, that actually happened, and it's worth keeping in mind. She's also there to be hit in just about every fight. You know, before Procopio got gassed out, she was touching her up every time she let her hands go. And so, like, I just look at it, and I'm like, this is... It's Anthony Shevchenko taking a huge step down from the girl she's been fighting and Casey O'Neill taking a big step up. Um, I like Shevchenko on the money line. Look, is it possible Shev gets flattened out here and just dominated? Yes. It is within the realm of possible outcomes. It, maybe even I'm overrating Shev's game and she gets dominated. But I also think it's possible it looks a lot like her fights of Pudilova and Lipsky where it turns out she can have some success herself there. Um, so I bet Shevchenko on the money line. I also bet her KO, KO line plus 800. Like I mentioned, Casey O'Neill got flatlined twice as an amateur, an amateur WMMA. She is going to be there to be hit whenever they're at range. And plus, I mean, would it shock you if they end up tied up in the in the clinch and she gets finished with a bot with like with knees? Like that wouldn't shock me. I, I yeah, I think Oshev, I think Chev by KO is a damn good bet. I think the under is decent because I do think if O'Neill's having the success she needs to have to win the fight, she probably finishes. But yeah, I, I think this line's crazy, to be honest with you. Yeah, plus 188, a little bit too crazy for me. I think people are getting a little bit overzealous in terms of the uh, 
you know, the the ground success people have yeah. been having against Shevchenko here. And again, this is probably the best striker, hands down, that Casey O'Neill has had to go up against. Uh, shout out to my guy, uh, Severi, here. Uh, St. O'Neill was like 16 or 17 old in those amateur fights. Hard to factor those at all. But still, got to factor well, them nonetheless, right? Though. Yeah, like KO, you know? KO. 16, yeah. 17, 23, whatever she's at now, it could still absolutely happen. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, I believe. Yeah, this is the prelim headliner. I know you got some heavy, heavy thoughts about this matchup, so I can't wait to get into it. Uh, we got Jared Gordon going up against Joe Selecki. Minus 145 on Joe Selecki, plus 125 is the return on Jared Gordon. Looking at my guy, John, here, pulling his seat right up so that I can get into it. So I'm not even going to bother starting off with this breakdown. I'll actually hand it off to you, and then I'll try to play off what you're saying to try to you know, just, just add some more credence to the Selecki side. Not saying I'm picking Selecki yet. Well, let's hear what you have to say first. First thing I'm going to say is if you don't have a lock of the night yet, Jared Gordon. <laughs> the of the night. <laughs> How did I know that you were going to say that? The last time I had this much conviction in, a, in an underdog was also on this show and it lost and it was Edson Barboza. But <laughs> I have more conviction in Jared Gordon. Um, I guess it's kind of funny because I don't want to come off as like shitting on Joe Selecki. I actually like Joe Selecki a lot. As, as I think he's a decent prospect. I actually max bet him against Austin Hubbard. So it's not he's like my lock I, of the night I, play against Jim Miller. Just yeah, yeah, exactly. That so, first round was a little bit shaky. I'll say that. But after that, he, he's a good fighter, right? You know, yeah. he's a well-rounded fighter. He's an okay striker. And if he gets on top of you, he's super, super dangerous, right? He's got next level jujitsu. My issue is, like, if you actually, like, kind of look at his entire career, both regional and in the UFC, you know, he's basically been fed a lot of guys who are really good matchups for him. Like, you go Matt Wyman. Matt Wyman had no chance in that fight. The guy can't stop takedowns at all. And if Selecki gets on top of you, you need a good getup game or you're going to get held down. Next fight, Austin Hubbard. Uh, Hubbard gives up his back so easily. Like, it was very predictable he was going to get his back taken in that fight pretty quickly. It just happens every fight he's in. And so, again, for a guy that's a back taker with jiu-jitsu like Selecki, pretty easy work for him. Uh, the next fight, Jim Miller, which, as you mentioned, was a little sweatier than I think most of us thought it would be. Uh, Jim Miller is very easy to take down and tends to play guard. Joe Selecki's jiu-jitsu is the type that he's not getting guard sub by pretty much anybody. So, you know, all he had to do was hit takedowns. And once he started doing that in round two, it was easy. Jared Gordon's a bit of a different beast, though. So Selecki's had a lot of matchups gifted to him. But, you know, Jared Gordon, first of all, I think Gordon's probably a better wrestler than Selecki, to be honest. I'm pretty convicted about that. But even if he's not, like Gordon's a, da a Danaher Brown belt. He has excellent jiu-jitsu himself. He's defensively very responsible. And when he has given his back up to get up, he's very good at denying hooks and very good at fighting hands. So first of all, I don't think if Selecki gets him down, he's at all likely to hold him there or submit him. I'd be very surprised if he submitted him. Not saying it can't happen. Obviously, there are ways it could play out where he gets submitted. But I just don't think it's particularly likely – and then, like, you go to the stand-up, and Selecki stand-up to me, look, the truth is there's not a ton of data on it because, you know, he's been able to take down his opponent so easily. But I get the feeling while it's technically not awful, it's very wooden, and I don't think he's really, you know, well, he really hasn't been forced to face any adversity standing. Whereas Jared Gordon is going to come forward and push an absolutely hellacious pace. You know, that's what he's known for. You know, you look at all of his fights. Look at the fight with Danny Chavez. Everybody's yeah. talking about he's going to get knocked out. He's going to get knocked out. He I know we cast that shit, John. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> he went there and tuned Chavez up with no problem. And I would say Danny Chavez is probably a better striker than Joe Selecki, to be honest. And so on the feet, I think it's a big edge for Gordon. Look, 
yeah, he's been flatlined a couple times. But let's actually contextualize that. I keep hearing he's chinny, he's chinny. He got knocked out by Charles Oliveira. Yeah, one of the most dangerous finishers in the UFC. Broke his orbital, I think, in that too. Yeah, he did. Got knocked out by CDF when CDF was on all the roids uh, before his <laughs> suspension. <laughs> you know? And then the Joe Kim Silva fight, he's up 2-0. If you recall, he gets put in a submission attempt at the end of round three, basically shreds his knee, and he's basically on one leg in round three just trading bombs in the center. And so I'm not really ready to say he's chinny, to be honest. You know, he took the shots from Chavez with no problem at all. And I don't see much to suggest Selecki being a big hitter. And so I think it's very favorable for Gordon Standing. And then the last bit of it is, if you look around one of that Jim Miller fight, Selecki got put on his back and he did this typical jiu-jitsu guy thing and he tried to play guard and he ended up getting held down. Jared Gordon is not going to be afraid of Selecki's guard. He's not afraid of anybody's guard. He's going to look for takedowns. And if he gets them and Selecki does that, he's not going to get subbed from bottom either like Selecki and he will throw big ground and pound. Uh, and so I kind of think, look, not that there isn't grappling upside on Selecki's side, but I think if one guy is likely to get six, seven minutes of top time here, it's far more likely to be Jared Gordon. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, Gordon's fought way better competition. So I really think Gordon is should be a pretty decent-sized favorite here, if I'm being honest, not an underdog. And in terms – so I bet him big. I have four units on him on the money line. In terms of his props – I would say plus 250, um, Jared Gordon by decision. I don't think Gordon's a huge hitter, even though he is willing to throw. And I'm pretty confident that Selecki's not getting finished on the mat if it gets put there, even if he gets held down. He's not getting subbed, but a ground and pound finish would be pretty surprising to me. So I kind of think decision is probably 70 to 80% of Gordon's win equity. And yeah, I mean, I love Gordon in the spot. Now I'm not going to go as far as saying that I feel like he's he should be that big of a favorite. Like you say, 65. I think you said 70 percent as well. I, I think that yeah, I'm I'm pretty big on Joe Selecki myself, um, which is why obviously I lock of the night did it lock of the night did him against Jim Miller the last time around. But there were spots in that fight where I was just like clinching my butt cheeks, like fuck, man, like come on, you know why are you playing guard as much? You know it's going to be tough to submit a guy like Jim Miller off of your back. Let's work to get back to his feet, and he did none of that. He got held down for the majority of that first round and then it was him having the success but we know jim miller does tend to slow down the later fights go and just like he was able to take advantage of that you know who's not going to be slowing down though jared gordon <laughs> jared gordon's <laughs> going to continue to move forward jared gordon's going to break you if anything and i do agree with you that i feel like he will be safe on the ground if this fight does hit the match um and I wouldn't be surprised to see him try to replicate what Jim Miller was successful in doing in that first round. Get the fight to the ground, get some ground and pound going, make this guy work, stay out of any crazy submissions, which I think he'll be able to do. Maybe try to pass, get into half guard or even side control and just do some more work from there. But I don't think he's going to put himself into these uh, risky situations to potentially get tapped by a guy like Joe Selecki. In the stand-up realm, Slucky could still use a little bit of work. Even Jared Gordon could use a little bit of work, but yeah. I think he compensates for that with his ability to move forward, put pressure, and really you know, push the pace against his opponents. And I think he, he'll be able to do that successfully against Slucky here. I also agree with your wrestling assessment of this fight too. You know, it could be even, but I would actually rate it a little bit more to the Jared Gordon side of things as well. That's where I think that's like he will have trouble the deeper he goes into his career is if he can't really get a better wrestling game going, it's going to be hard for him to get that, you know, that, uh, that, that jujitsu game going, which is again, I think one of the best in the UFC, like probably top 10 to top 15 jujitsu in the UFC. I think Joe Selecki, pure jujitsu, Joe Selecki is definitely up there. 
but in terms of getting the fight to that realm is just a completely different uh, a thing. I like Gordon as the dog here, to be honest. I, I really do. Plus 125 is not too bad of a line for in my opinion. Uh, it should be closer to a pick em. Um Lock of the night, though? Nah. <laughs> I feel like there's safer spots, to be honest. Five units. Five units. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me personally, a lock of the night play is something that I need to feel almost no resistance in. Almost no... There won't be I much of my pick there, <laughs> You could be right. I may end up cashing him as a dog of the night play. Don't get me wrong, but uh, but but I feel like there's two two other spots that that I feel quite confident in. Again, I don't mind paying the chalk, but I don't mind parlaying either to yeah. to get a better line for myself as well. But yes, I do agree with you, Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon by decision. That's probably the way that I would lean as well. Um, again, I don't see Gordon overextending himself too much, looking to get a finish or putting on a crazy statement here. But he should be able to put on a. a statement decision victory spread that way jared gordon by decision plus 220 give me some of that give me some of that Love all right it. let's move on to the main card here and as always taking this time to remind you guys make sure you guys hit that like hit that subscribe we're pretty much just at the 100 viewer mark so shout out to you guys in there uh follow john on twitter obviously at mma fox you can see his twitter handle on the screen there and then obviously give his podcast the club and sub podcast some love by going into the description of this video and going over to their channel and hitting the subscribe with them you guys can find them every wednesday evening 10 p.m eastern drop in that heat for you guys just as you guys are hearing from john here trust me his other guys they got some heat as well. Trust me. Very solid guys over there. All right, let's move on here. First fight of the main card, Alexander Hernandez versus Mike Breeden. And before we went live, I came completely clean to John here. This is the only fight that I haven't completely got into given the short notice nature of Mike Breeden. So I'm going to let John actually take over for, for this breakdown here. In terms of odds, we are looking at minus 550, obviously the heavy chalk on Alexander Hernandez, plus 425 for the glory MMA and fitness trained James Krause led Mike Breeden. James Krause on his way to Vegas right now. I'm probably already there to corner Mike Breeden here, so take what you want from that. But, John, let me know how you feel about this matchup. It's funny you said that because I was chatting with uh, with C and Luke earlier, and I was like, you know, if I was really afraid, I'm more afraid. If I was betting Alex Hernandez, I'm more afraid of James Krause than I am, out, than I am Mike Breeden here. <laughs> Um, and not to shit on him, to be honest, Mike Breeden's a decent fighter. Like, he's a decent striker. He's a decent grappler. I guess how I'd classify him is he's probably compared to, like, a U for a regional guy, he's like a B-plus, A-minus across the board. For a UFC fighter, it's really close to, like, a C-minus, C across the board. Like, he has the tools to maybe win fights in the right matchups, but he's going to be athletically athletically outclassed against most guys in this division. He's going to be at a speed disadvantage against most guys in this division. Um, look, he keeps a decent pace. I, like I said, he can hang in the grappling a bit. But to be honest, if there wasn't a you know a late notice cancellation, he wouldn't be fighting here. You know, he's a contenders level guy. That's what he is, and he did fight on contenders and lost, I believe. Um, and so, look. I don't hate Mike Breeden. Good for him getting the shot. On the other side, you have Alex Hernandez, who I still haven't really forgiven him for losing to Tiago Moistez a couple months back. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. I got, I got, I will say this. I kind of got publicly shamed because I put out a tweet saying, how does Tiago Moises win this fight? And then shout out to my guy, MMA or numbers, MMA by the numbers, whatever his name is. He puts it in his article. He goes, I saw a tweet where somebody's like, how does Tiago Moises win this fight? Oh, no. And he goes on and to, to win that fight. And it's, somebody pointed it out to me like, yeah, I'll absolutely take ownership of that tweet because pre-fight, I didn't expect Tiago Moises to have as much striking success as he did. But 
that just goes to show Me people either. can improve on a fight to fight uh, basis. Continue, sorry. Yeah, I had a, I had a big bet on Hernandez against Moises, and that was really like nauseating to watch, to be honest. Especially because I've always kind of been on the Hernandez is really really good. He just needed to come to the UFC a little later and develop more. And, and I think I'm mostly kind of still of that frame of mind. You know, he has somewhat suspect cardio but he's a great athlete he's really fast he hits hard he's a pretty well-rounded grappler he just it, it's weird because i do think he should be better than he is now i don't know if it's a mental thing it seems like fight to fight he'll look really good in one faculty in one fight like you look at the Aubon mercier fight he outgrappled olivier Aubon mercier who saw that coming i didn't you know you look at you know his fight with trinaldo which was an ugly fight but not many guys end up even at distant strikes with trinaldo you know he's he just never can seem to put it all together at once. You know, I remember thinking about the Moises fight. I'm like, man, you know, Fernandez needs to. He can probably go to the wrestling here. You know, Moises is pretty easy to take down and hold down. He just decided to kind of outfight and lose. Um, but in terms of this fight, I don't really see a whole lot of places that Breeden can trouble him. I think the speed gap is huge. The athleticism gap is huge. And even the technical gap, you know, Hernandez could clean up some things in his striking, especially defensively. But again, I just don't really see the tools um, or the athleticism for Breeden to take advantage of that. So I, I guess, you know, I would never lay minus 500 with Alex Hernandez, but I do think the line is more or less accurate. Uh, I do kind of like the KO prop, to be honest. Uh, it kind of reminds me to a degree of the Gritzmacher fight where Hernandez put him out early. You know, Hernandez, when he can get off, he hits really hard, and he is a pretty precise striker. And I do sort of think he's going to be – like I said, he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. And as such, I kind of think a Hernandez KO is probably a 55 60% outcome, and we're currently getting plus 140, plus 150, depending on the book. So, like, I like the Hernandez KO. I wouldn't – Again, I wouldn't recommend parlaying Hernandez at minus 500 just because it's never fun losing money on an Alex Hernandez fight because it's usually excruciating. But, yeah, I mean, Hernandez is should win this fight pretty easily. I will say this. I only put two units on him that night where you maxed him against Thiago Moises. Um, but uh, the last thing I'll, I'll actually add about this one, uh, the, the camp narrative, right? I believe this is going to be his third full training cap now over there at Factory X. Uh, Devontae Smith is obviously somebody who's fighting earlier on the card, training at a Factory X as well. So uh, if anybody want to, wants to keep that in mind, that's definitely you have. Well, I don't want to say anything too bad, but like, I mean, do you have friends at Factory X other than you? Know, <laughs> do you think I'm Kirk? tied to everybody now? <laughs> like, well, I know you like James and Like, since James Krause started doing his thing at Glory more, yeah. Factory X has taken a nosedive. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> like, they're allegedly a BJJ camp. Have you seen any of them display reasonable BJJ on the mat? No, like, no, no, to be honest. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I'm glad Alex Hernandez is at a big gym, but I don't think that's it, to be honest. All right. Let's see how it plays out this weekend. But he is a minus 550 favorite. Uh, all right. Let's move on to the next fight here, a fight that we're actually supposed to get back in July. We got Aspen Ladd going off as a minus 275 favorite. She's going up against Macy Kiasson, who's plus 235. Now, the intriguing thing is... <laughs> the intriguing thing here is I um I I had my graphics already done for this fight back in July, and I noticed that Aspen Ladd was only a minus 190 favorite back then. And that was only three or four days before the fight was actually supposed to happen. Then Macy Casson pulls out. And now all of a sudden, Aspen Ladd's all the way up to minus 275. Like there must be something going on behind the scenes where they're just like Kiasson should not be fighting this quickly after you know that last one. Um you know, uh, that last one kind of shit in the bed the way that it did. 
I will say this. I feel like Aspen Ladd has the advantage in grappling here. I think she's the better fighter. Striking, you could possibly give a slight advantage to Macy Kiasson, but not by a lot. Uh, she's still raw. She's still very green, in my opinion. I bet Mar Marion Renault against Macy Kiasson last time around, and I truly thought Renault's strongest round would have been round three. It ended up being round one. She won round one, in my opinion. She was going on to win round two until she got clipped and broke her nose at the ending of that second round, and then Macy really took over after that. <clears throat> but I think that we have a much better fighter here in Aspen Lad to go out there and fade a girl like Macy Kiasong. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got something stuck in my throat. It's probably Macy Kiasong kicking me because of going against her right now. But I do like uh, Aspen here, man. I do like the pace and pressure she puts on, drags her opponents to the ground, really establishes that top control and really starts to rain it down. I don't think that, uh, like I said, the striking advantage for Macy Kiasong, I don't think it's wide enough to the extent of GDR and Aspen Lad. So I don't think we have to worry about a, a knockout coming for, for the Macy Kiasong side of things. And then, like I said, I think that Macy Kiasong has a little bit of a gas tank issue. As we saw in the Shanna Young fight, a fight that she went out there and completely tried to out-muscle her opponent, like out-muscling compared to actually out-techniquing her opponent. She started to slow down the later the fight went. But luckily for her, she was a much bigger opponent there, a much stronger opponent, and she was able to get away with it. Here, she's not going to, man. Aspen Ladd is going to make it very tough for uh, Macy Gasson to do what she does. And I think uh, Ladd will land takedowns. And I wouldn't be surprised with Ladd going apeshit like she did in a couple of her past fights and getting a ground and pound stoppage later that this fight goes. Uh, I do like Ladd here. The only thing that kind of turns me off, she's been off for a while. And during that time, she had reconstructed ACL surgery or a knee surgery, like completely, completely new knee. Let's just put it that way. That's the only thing that's kind of giving me a slight bit of pause in terms of uh, going all in on Aspen Ladd in the spot. But this should be a comfortable spot for her to go out there and show Macy Cass on this. There's levels to the shit, as Corey Anderson would say. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah. I mean, it nauseates me a bit, but I, I drank the juice here on Aspen Lad. Uh, I took a I, – I'm on her at minus 200. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because you know me. You know how phobic I am about playing, you know, big favorites in general. But, you know, something I've been trying to clean up about my game is I really should be – if I think there's value on a line, I really need to be betting the value, even if it is someone that's minus 200, minus 250. And that's just kind of how I feel here, to be honest. Um, like, I've never been a huge Lad fan because of how hittable she is on the feet. Because I have seen her, you know, have some issues in the clinch with, like, Landsberg and Kunitskaya. The thing is, like, those are, like, two clinch experts. And Kiasan ultimately ended up dominating both of those fights and getting them both down. Not Kiasan, I'm sorry, Lad. But... Just looking at this fight, you know, you and I touched on this a couple weeks ago. Grappling is one of the most low-variance arts that there is in MMA. And, you know, I look at this fight, and it's like for me to feel uncomfortable with a minus 200, I have to believe that Lad's not going to hit a single takedown in this fight. And look, if that happens, yeah, I'll be very fucking uncomfortable about having minus 200 on it, right? Yeah. But I, I don't – ultimately, like I've seen Marianne Renault hit takedowns on Macy Kiasson. I saw Lena Landsberg get her to the mat, right? And, and you know, it, it's just – when Kiasan's been put on her back, what we've seen has not been pretty. And conversely, on the other side of things, you know, with Aspen Ladd, you know, Aspen Ladd outgrappled Sajara Eubanks. And I know people can dog Sajara for having, like, bad cardio at times. Sajara is, like, a top-tier women's grappler. And for her to get outgrappled in that fight spoke a lot to me about what Ladd's upside is. and made me kind of come around to her as a prospect. I still have all the issues that I have with her standing. Look, she's going to walk forward with her chin in the air and let herself get touched up. And I suppose Macy could put her down like that. I, I just – I can't say that that's a much better than like a 10 or 15% outcome, to be honest, before Lad gets inside on her. And I just don't – look, I get it. Macy's been 
looked good in the clinch in the past, but if you look at the girl she's looked good in the clinch, it's like Shanna Young and a bunch of bums. Like this is just and that got all worked by Lena Landsberg in the clinch, right? That's what it's I'm saying. And it's that. like it's a completely different level of opponent here, you know? Like, yeah, she beat Marion Renault, but that fight was sweaty. I bet Renault there, and Renault is 43 years old and looked pretty clearly washed in her next fight with Misha Tate. And, you know, Macy went life and death with her. And I, I just, in my head, I'm like, I feel like this fight is going to hit the mat two or three times. And that's really, it might only take one takedown for Lad to win the fight, to be completely honest. I think she's going to cut through Macy's guard without any issue at all. Um, I, yeah, I, I just think Lad wins this fight the vast majority of the time it takes place. Uh, again, if Macy finished her standing, it could happen. Lad is hittable. I just it's WMMA at the end of the day. It's not like Macy has a bunch of standing KOs. I, I just think Lad's probably about eighty percent here. Um, in terms of props, look, I think the obvious one is Lad ITD, and maybe if you wanted to hedge down a bit from that or be a little safer, just play ITD in general since it does cover you know Macy taking her head off in the center. But in terms of Lad ITD, like look, Lad is very vicious on top. She's heavy on top. She's dangerous. I believe she's a black belt. She's got a pretty decent submission game as well. I kind of think if she can get the takedowns as easily as I suspect she can, it's probably only a matter of time before she finishes Macy here. So I think plus 200, you're getting like a decent bit of value there. Uh, shout out to my guy, NJ81. I think I've seen him in a couple times. Macy dominated. The fight was 50-50 until there was a minute left. <laughs> what? I, I just, I, I literally just brought up the MMA decisions here. Macy, or sorry, Marion won round one on all three judges. So that uh, right away takes out dominated. <laughs> you, you don't dominate a fight by losing a round. And Marion was winning that second round until she got her, her nose broken. That's all yeah, I got to say. It's, Again, it's it, it, after that, yeah, it looked like Mar or Macy was doing much better when Marion had a leaking nose the entire fight or for the, the last half of the fight. But again, yeah. yeah. All right, let's let's move on. That, that, we don't need to, to to focus on that here. Next up, we got Misha Serkinov making his 185 pound debut, going up against Christoph Jocko. We got minus 150 for Jocko, plus 130 is the return on Misha Serkinov. And initially, I was a little bit skeptical about Serkinov getting down to uh, 185 pounds, but he's quite stocky. You know what I mean? He's like a, he's a bulky dude. I feel like he could get that 20 pounds off. Excuse me, that 20 pounds off with not much issue. Uh, and then if we have him, you know fully hydrated, ready to go. I feel like he should be the favorite in this spot. I'm not that big on Jotko. The guy's not a crazy knockout puncher. I put together the, the statistics here in terms of Jotko's ability to finish fights. Uh, let me just pull that up here real quick. Um, Jotko has six KO victories on his record, the last of which came five years ago against Hamden McCrory. Uh, before that was back in 2012. Five of his KO victories came in his first nine fights. And then after that, has not been able to get a get a finish. One time, like I said, against Hamden Rikori. In his UFC run, he knocked down Uriah Hall once, and then he knocked down uh, Tamden Rikori, obviously getting the knockout there. Yeah. Outside of that, never recorded a knockdown in his life. He is a good point fighter. He's a good guy that goes out there, decent at, kind of decent in terms of maintaining his distance, using that point fighting style and taking home decision victories. But then after that, it, it, there's nothing really else there. Misha Serkinov going to be the much stronger guy in this fight, in my opinion. I think he's going to be able to get this fight to the ground. I think he'll be able to get, put that uh, that jujitsu to to work in the spot. 
I really like uh, Misha Serkinov in the spot as an underdog, to be honest. I think that this is a spot for him where he doesn't need to worry worry about going out there and get starts. If he gets starts by Jotko, gotta hang it up, brother. You, you get, you're not made for the MMA game anymore. But I feel like he'll be able to take those shots from Jotko and then implement his game. He's not too bad of a striker either. It's just he always gets washed because his chin was just never good at uh, 205 pounds. But luckily for him... He's going to be going up against middleweights now, so hopefully his chin uh, will be able to upgrade with that and, and not have to worry about getting hit as hard, especially against a guy like Jodko here. I'm, I've am i always been big on Misha. Like Obviously, I knew him for, from his regional days coming up here on the Canadian scene, uh, and I thought he could make some good noise inside the UFC. I just didn't realize how chinny he was until he started fighting these heavy yeah. hitters. But jiu-jitsu, on point. Just watch that Jimmy Crude fight. That's literally all you need to see. But even if you go throughout his entire career, the guy's a very good jiu-jitsu artist, and I think he's going to be able to tie Jotko up in knots in this fight. So I like Misha here. I actually like him to, to get it done relatively quickly too, man. I, th I think that the submission prop is not too shabby here. Uh, sitting at plus 300. Even Misha round one is currently sitting at uh, plus 385. But I'd rather just take that plus 300 on this mission and call it a day. Money line, not too bad either. Plus 125. Again, I do think that this uh, he might even be slightly favored in this fight. I, th that's what I believe. Uh, but I do like Serkanov in this spot. Do you think Jotko presents any issues? And then ultimately, who do you think wins this fight? It, it's like so weird to me that like Misha's going down in weight, to be honest. like The guy did not seem like he had like much fat to lose if i'm being honest he's built like a fucking brick shit house uh but yeah i i mean i guess i largely agree with your breakdown like i was it's funny in our dream last night someone mentioned uh misha's the kind of guy to dominate at israel adesanya and get flatlined by jocko and i was like <laughs> yeah I was, I was like, that's, I was like, awesome. that's so accurate like he's I've always been like Misha has a championship level skill set. Unfortunately, he just doesn't have championship level durability. And like his skill set should have worked at light heavyweight. Guys who can grapple at that level. And to be honest, if we're being real, Misha's a pretty good striker as well. The problem is he just really has never been able to take damage. Now, coming down to 185, the question is, does that durability improve or does it get worse? I don't really know what the answer is. I I'm hopeful and again, I said this last night, and I'm not ever the guy that's like, I want to see the weigh-ins. I'm usually like, you know, weigh-ins are largely useless and unpredictive. I do want to see what he looks like on the scales, though, to be honest. Like, is he looking sucked out and dead up there? Um, or does he look healthy? But I kind of agree. Like, there's no way I can rate Jocko higher than Serkunov in just about any facet of MMA. Like, I appreciate Jocko's game, I guess. You know, he's a good athlete. He's very, very technical. But he's so low volume. He's so willing to lose, like, a close decision. Like, you go back, even look at the Strickland fight, and, like, Strickland won it fairly easily. But also, you know, Jocko never really tried to do anything different. He was kind of just content to let Strickland jab him in the face for 15 minutes. And so, like, I look at this fight, and I'm like, man, I don't – I shouldn't say I don't see many outs for Jocko because he's obviously a very skilled fighter. You know, he could knock Misha out. But I, I sort of do agree with you. Like, when was the last time Christoph Jocko hurt somebody standing? Uh, it's been a while. Uh, we just saw him get controlled in the clinch for eight minutes by Eric Anders. You know, I'm pretty sure he's not going to do to Misha what uh, what he did to Alan Amandowski. I'm pretty confident in that. And so I guess the ultimate question for me is how is Misha's chin here? Because if it's fine, I honestly think he's got minus hindsight, minus 200 upside, to be honest. Um, I'm a little less bullish on the finish just because – I could see both guys being pretty, pretty hesitant. You know, Jocko, since he started getting knocked out, has become pretty gun shy. And so, like, I could kind of see it go in the distance, to be honest. And I kind of, 
Fall, well, I mean, it's not actually that's not a great. No, oh no, never mind. Okay, I was like that plus two hundred. I kind of like Sirkunov plus five fifty uh, by decision, to be honest. Although I don't hate his shot at the sub. You know, him subbing Krut. Krut's a very good grappler. Um, it's a weird fight because like there's any number of ways this could go that wouldn't surprise me. A Jocko KO wouldn't shock me. Misha by decision wouldn't shock me, and Misha by sub wouldn't shock me. But I guess if I had to put my money somewhere, it would probably be Misha by decision. I like it. So we we're kind of on the same page with Misha. Yeah. The I think Misha's the better fighter. Here. Yeah, for sure. As long as that durability holds up, he should be able to get the dub here. Uh, just a quick acknowledgement here to my guy Hunter M. Did you pick Lad by finish mock? Uh, I'm ultimately going to go with her via decision in this spot. Um, but I'll definitely be poking that round three uh, for Lad here, uh, considering I do believe that Kiasan has some true cardio issues. And I didn't even list what that uh, round three prop is. That round three prop for Aspen Lad is sitting at plus 1,100. So, you know, usually in women's MMA in this spot, we usually see it a little bit higher than that. But I think those people are definitely privy to it and can see that happening here as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Nico Price going up against Alex Oliveira, talk about a shit show of a fight. Nico Price welcoming welcoming his sixth baby to the world very shortly. So you bet he wants to go out there and get a performance, <laughs> get a performance of the night. Bonus. Me and John were talking about uh, kids earlier <laughs> before we hopped on the stream here. I have one. He, I don't know how you do one. six. I haven't had one yet, but uh, uh, I know my my wife's a little bit hesitant about it at the moment. But I'm sure we're gonna eventually have one. Um, for you though, yeah, you might have a number two coming on the way. Nico Price, number six king of not pulling out of fights or his wife he's gonna keep it going here uh so with this fight i'm sure i'm assuming he wants to go out there and get a performance over the night right 50 50k to help with that new baby that's coming to the world and then obviously take care of the rest of the five kids that he has coming up here um a little questionable in terms of where i'm going with this fight sorry with the odds minus 175 for price plus yeah. 155 for alex Oliveira. there's just certain spots where Oliveira, like he'll forever be my my wild card fighter in the ufc like the guy you never really expect to you know or the the, the most difficult to predict in terms of how he's going to perform right uh, i like to call him the wild card because he reminds me of uh for anybody that watches it's always sunny in philadelphia he reminds me of charlie like he reminds me of that guy where he's like wild card bitches like that that's who he reminds me of because there's times where he can go out there and have a, a phenomenal performance and then there's times out there where he just gets one armed rear naked choke by randy fucking brown <laughs> right so there's situations like that i do lean on the nico price side of things as i feel he is slowly getting better and better i know he dropped his last fight to michelle Pereira, but i think a lot of people are kind of downplaying and underrating the game of Michel Pereira still like kind of labeling him as that circus act kind of guy but he's starting to show yeah. you know if he can remain disciplined he can put together a solid 15-minute game plan and implement it really well and uh you know so I'm not going to take too much away from Nico Price from that fight obviously weird Donald Cerrone fight the Vicente Luque fight you know he that's fight stopped very late uh due to his eye pretty much shutting in that fight but I was kind of impressed from what we saw from him in that fight that could also be and do with you know Vicente Luque being super fucking hittable, but Nico Price was getting off a lot more damage and having a lot more success in that fight than I expected him to have. Um, I, I think Nico Price just out like as amateur as this sounds, I think he just outwills him in this fight. Like, I think that he's not going to be the one that breaks. I think Alovera will eventually break, and then we'll see Nico Price follow up with some big shots and then get him out of there. If this was the to if the widely available total was set at two and a half, I'd probably look at taking the under two and a half. Fighter doesn't go to decision at minus 200, a little bit chalky for my liking. But Nico Price has kind of been one of those guys that I almost used to rely on for fights to not go to decision. Obviously, his last two haven't been that way. 
I'm not sure if he's going to go back to his trend, which back then was fight doesn't go to decision. And he seems to have a willing dance partner here in Oliveira, who's kind of just throwing, you know, just shit on the wall and just seeing if it sticks. I like Price here. I like Price. I'm going to take him by KO as well, um, which currently sits at plus 150, under two and a half, minus 140. Fight doesn't go to decision, minus 205. But violence and Nico Price is where I'm leaning for this fight. How about you? Once upon a time, had you told me that Alex Oliveira was plus 150 against Nico Price, I would have put every dollar I had to my name. How on time Alex changes, bro. Yeah, How dude, time seriously. changes. <laughs> um, I, it's kind of weird because it's like a tale of two different guys. Like from the Nico side, there was a time when I was like, Nico is probably the most fadeable fighter in the UFC. He's a one-punch KORist who can do nothing else. He's this bad volume and he can't grapple. And somehow over the last two or three years, he's morphed from being a low-volume power striker into a just completely fucking absurd volume striker. It, it's been it's been a very bizarre transformation because you usually don't see guys improve their volume. I mean, look at Tyron yeah. Woodley, a perfect example, <laughs> right? God. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, it'd be, I mean, seriously, and even his grappling, I still don't think he's a good grappler. But he's gotten a bit better at initiating scrambles when he gets taken down and working his way back up. And kind of to your point, you know, you can say whatever you want about him losing to Michelle Pereira. The only issue in Michelle Pereira's game is the guy's got a horrible gas tank. But he actually is a very, very skilled fighter. Uh, and on the Oliveira side, look, Oliveira's always been a great athlete. He hits very hard. He has pretty good jiu-jitsu. He's got pretty good wrestling. But, or he, th again, these were all attributes he had at his peak. But when was the last time he's looked good in any of those areas, really? You know, even, I mean, what was his last win? Was it the Max Griffin fight? Oh, man. It was the Peter Sabota fight. He beat him right oh, after right, Max right, Griffin. Right. Actually, he looked pretty good in that fight. But Peter Sabota See, that, that's what I mean. Like, I, I think I backed Sabota in that fight. But like, I did too, yeah. Again, wild card. Yeah. Fucking it's, almost performance of his, of his career in that fight, right? What I will say, though, is... If Oliveira comes out the way he's been looking for the most part lately, Price is going to dumpster him. And if Oliveira comes out looking as good as he did in the Sabota fight, I'm not sure he has much of an advantage against Price. Maybe it's an evens fight, but I still think Price presents you know some issues both in terms of power and volume that Oliveira is going to struggle to match. Uh, I kind of think Oliveira, to give himself a decent shot here, has to wrestle very, very aggressively. And maybe he will, but I don't know that he can keep Price down. And if he can't, He's pretty reliable to gas out down the stretch. Um, yeah, so like I like price here. I haven't bet it. I don't know if I want to bet the money line. It's kind of interesting though in terms of like odds. You know, I don't know if everybody has these, but like the alternate lines, I'm seeing under two and a half, the alternate total being um, minus 140, uh, which seems a little crazy to me. Uh, fight won't start round three. Minus one thirty-five, not bad. Minus one ten on Fanduel, it's not bad. I, I, I just, I think Oliveira is enough of a glass cannon at this point that if he can't get off on his game, him getting flatlined is very, very in play. I do not think he can play the Pereira outside game, stick and move outside game. And on the other side, it's like if Oliveira does what he needs to do to have success and grapples heavy, he's probably got a pretty good chance to submit Price. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm not passionate about it. I kind of like the under two and a half if you can get that. I wouldn't touch the one and a half. Price wins by KO, TKO, plus 150. That's pretty good. But you kind of touched on it, though. We just saw Oliveira get choked out with one arm. And so it's like, is he going to get hurt and just dive into a guillotine by Price? Who knows?
<laughs> maybe. Um, I think tying a bunch of stuff to the fight, not finishing, and you know, some kind of price ITD. If you're trying to play props here, is the best way to do it. I kind of lean Nico Price the money line, but I'm not like super, super passionate about it. Price via submission plus eleven hundred for anybody that likes that. <laughs> it could happen, Randy. If you told me Randy Brown was going to submit him, period, I'd have been like, no chance. But he did it with one arm, John. One I... arm. No, <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to the co-main event here. We got uh, Kevin Holland uh, making his return here, going up against Kyle Dawkins. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus one sixty-five for Holland and plus one forty-five for Kyle Dawkins. Now, this is the, for me. This is a stay-away fight, all in all. Right? We we got to go out there and see what Holland looks like after working or so-called working his grappling as much as he's been saying he has over there at Hendrickstan down there in Texas working with Johnny Hendricks. Obviously, Johnny Hendricks with the newer school of fans is a little bit of a joke at this point in time, but people who know him know he was a legitimate competitor when he was a competitor um, at, at the top. You know, say what you want about the steroids and all that type of shit, because that could definitely be a, be an issue there too. But the guy has a decent. Like a real GSP fan. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um with that said, like if he can stuff a couple of takedowns here against Kaldakis, whose takedowns aren't the greatest, he has the advantage on the feet, right? I know Kaldakis showed some improved striking in his fight against Dustin Stoltzfus, but he's in a completely different realm here with a guy like Kevin Holland. Not saying Kevin Holland's fucking Israel Adesanya on the feet or anything like that, but I feel like he'll do a decent enough job in terms of using that distance, using that range, keeping Dawkins on the outside and kind of just snipering him, similar to what he did against uh, Joaquin Buckley a couple of fights ago. It's all pertinent on can he keep the fight standing because we know Dawkins is going to be shooting for his life to get this fight to the ground. Uh, you know, not in the in the in the risk or the threat of potentially getting knocked out by a guy like Kevin Holland, but he will more than likely lose this fight if it stays on the feet for 15 minutes. I just can't trust Kevin Holland yet, right? Like a guy who had such a a gaping flaw like he did uh, with his takedown defense, and now he's going up against a legitimate, you know, jujitsu guy. Yeah. I'm a little bit uh, scared off by that. So I, personally, I'm staying away from it. But the spots that kind of caught my eye when I was looking at this fight was actually the over. Over two and a half sitting at minus 155. I don't think that's a bad spot. Both guys are very durable. I think I'd, I'd kind of be surprised if Dawkins actually catches Holland in some sort of submission and vice versa. Um, and yeah, I could see this fight being, you know, Dawkins trying to push him up against the cage, failing on takedowns, you know, ending up in the clinch position a lot. And then when, whenever they are at distance, uh, Kevin Holland getting better of the distance striking and i think the, the uh holland will take home a decision victory here that's kind of where i'm leaning but i just don't want to put any of my money on it yet because we need to see holland flesh out first before we can trust him again uh holland by decision plus 220 not too bad but again the over two and a half minus 155 that that's intriguing to me does that catch does that catch your eye as well and then ultimately how do you how do you feel this fight's going to go down yeah the over does catch my eye to be honest um I'd be very surprised if Kyle Dawk has finished Kevin Holland either standing or on the mat, if I'm being honest. I think if you were going to say someone's going to finish the other guy, it's far more likely to be Holland just icing him on the feet. But, like, I can't play that Holland KO is plus 230. It's not really yeah, not getting not a, not good enough. The bone there. Uh, in terms of the fight, you know, it's funny because I was actually kind of hoping, you know, a lot of people would see, oh, Kyle Dawk, as he attempts takedowns, we're going to bet him and bet Holland to dog because I would have been happy to play Kevin Holland as a dog here. I, I guess my view is, and I have talked to some fairly sharp people who like Dawkins, but my view is it's like he just got held down by Derek Brunson and Marvin Vittori. Like Kyle Dawkins is not near that level as a wrestler. Like it's not, or a grappler. It's not even close. And if you look, you know, Holland's been taken down a bunch in his career, and I've always been 
a fairly big Colin skeptic. But you look at the guys who have taken him down. You know, GM3 took him down six times, but he won that fight. Brendan Allen won the fight, but if you look at that fight, Allen took him down twice, but spent the first six minutes getting his ass completely handed to him in that fight. And so it's like, it's not like Holland can't scramble. It's not like he can't grapple at all. The problem with Holland is you put him on his back and he plays guard and good grap, very good grapplers who know how to deal with that. Just smash you when you do that. You know, it's my big issue with guard players. Um, I'm hoping he's cleaned that up. You know, we'll see. He's obviously been training this full time, allegedly. So we'll see. But even if he can't, I don't I don't think it's a given that Dawkins can just hold him down uh, at all, to be honest. And I think you could have some competitive scrambles. I mean, Dawkins had competitive scrambles with Brendan Allen as well. And so and on the feet, it's like honestly, I think it's gonna be pretty close to one-way traffic. Like I think Dawkins is a decent boxer, but Holland's a taller and he's a lot longer than Dawkins is. I don't even know if Dawkins has ever faced anybody that's longer than him. And I think Holland's a very underrated striker. I think he's an excellent striker, if I'm being honest. And I think he's just gonna to touch him up there while they're standing. And so my view is for Dawkins to win this fight, he probably needs to get close to seven or eight minutes of control time to give himself a real shot. And I just I don't think that's something you can count on here, to be honest, at all. I, I, we just saw Kyle Dawkins get out cardioed by Phil Hawes and get outlanded at distance I'll by Phil Hawes. I will Dude, never forget that. I will never forget that. I mean, it, it's like I can't watch that fight and be like, Kyle Dawkins is value here. Like, no fucking way, you know? So, I mean, I think the line's about right because at the end of the day, I'm kind of with you. Holland is a favorite. It's like we've seen the holes there. He's probably going to get taken down here. Like the last thing I want to do is lay a minus 160 on Holland and watch him get held down for 10 minutes. I'll put a fucking bullet in my brain if I do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I do sort of think, you know, I don't want to say his ground issues are being overstated. But I think people comparing, trying to draw a comparison between Kyle Dawkins and the guys who just smash Holland is very, very misguided. Uh, I like the over with you there completely. Uh, that's really all I like. If, I guess if you like Dawkins, playing Dawkins' decision plus 250 isn't bad. I'd rather play that than his money line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, no real strong thoughts. Yeah, for me, I I, I listed out on the, on the Patreon here. I'm just like, this is more of a sit back and watch what we're getting with Kyle, yeah. Kevin Holland. And his it's with one fight. Yeah, it's a, it should be a fun fight, which is why they put it as a co-main event considering the rest of the, the card here. But again, sit back, watch it. We have 12 other fights we can wager money on. Let's not Jared force Gordon. anything in this spot. Yeah, exactly. Jared Gordon. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the main event here. And again, another opportunity for my, for me to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then show my guy Johnson's love by going to the description and following his Club and Sub podcast uh, YouTube channel that they have and showing those guys some love. 10 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday night, they're going live to drop some MMA knowledge on you folks. All right, main event time. Tiago Santos, Johnny Walker. If I was ballsy enough to go out there and tip minus 500 plays, the fight doesn't go to decision is what I would tip here. But <laughs> I will more than likely be looking to uh, to parlay that fight doesn't go to decision and get a better price. And uh, I, I've been looking for that other spot to parlay it with. And we've obviously talked about it a couple of spots on this card here. Uh, but uh, yet, for me truly, it's like you got two guys here that have finishing capabilities and have been finished in the past, but you have a guy that's a little bit more disciplined. Uh, sorry, and I didn't even say the odds here. Minus 155 for Tiago Santos, plus 135 for Johnny Walker. There's going to be a huge size advantage for Johnny Walker here as well. Obviously, you guys will notice that once they face off. Tiago Santos, former middleweight as well. But again, like I was saying, disciplined striker in Tiago Santos. Johnny Walker seems to get clipped in almost every single one. 
out of his fights. I'm sure everybody's seen the infamous video of him going around getting knocked out three times in like 20 seconds on the regional scene in Jungle Fight before the or against Ryan Span getting knocked against out three Ryan times I will say this: that that was probably one of my prouder moments, the Johnny Walker versus Ryan Span fight, because I don't think I've ever broken a fight down as clearly as that one i'm not sure if anybody can dig up the write-up or the, the video that i did for that one but i'm absolutely certain that i said that ryan span is going to go for takedowns here and in doing so he's going to get knocked the fuck out by elbows or punches on the entry exactly what i said and it played out exactly like his fight with uh or sorry alex nicholson against ryan span if you guys went back and watched that fight in uh, lfa i think it was broke that shit down to a to a t with that said I don't know if Tiago Santos is going to be going for takedowns here. I think this fight's going to be a striking battle. If we want to throw in the baby narrative as well here, Tiago Santos welcoming his first baby with Yano Kuninskaya in a couple months here. So maybe he another spot that looking for a performance of the night. But given what Johnny Walker is saying leading up to this fight, the guy wants to go out there and have a war. And if you want to have a war against a guy like Tiago Santos, more than likely Santos is going to oblige here. I think specifically... Uh, with Santos and his last fight against Rakic, where he just was held at bay pretty much the entire fight, sticking at range and just never really letting his game go. I think he's going to take that into, uh, as fire to bring into this fight against Johnny Walker. Now, the funny thing is that Santos, his age, right? He's he's a lot older than a lot of people expect him to be. He's 37 years old. He'll be 38 in January. Um, but I still feel like, obviously, at these higher weight classes, you can get away with that a little bit as long as you have some durability and some good power. And I feel like we're getting that here with, uh, with Thiago Santos. Now, could go either way, like I said, super volatile fight, which is why I like the fight doesn't go to decision. Again, minus 500, super fucking chalky, but I think a very damn good parlay piece because if this fight goes five rounds, I will probably be right there with you slumped over, shooting myself in the head <laughs> if this fight goes to a decision if uh, Kyle Dawkins goes out there and grapple fucks uh, Kevin Holland here. Uh, my pick is going to be Tiago Santos. I, I think the KO line is roughly around plus 125 for that. Uh, plus 105, I should say. Uh, if I doesn't go to a decision, I will more than likely be parlaying as a part of, of my lock of the night play here. Um, how do you feel about this matchup? Am I not giving enough credence to uh, Walker, or do you like the uh, do you like this violence bet here? Well, first of all, you know what's interesting? You touched on Walker's size, and I don't know why I never thought of this. Why doesn't Walker just go up to heavyweight? I mean, he is huge for the weight class. Like, he must cut a ton of weight. Six, and six. He, yeah, and he'd be much faster and explosive than the vast majority of the heavyweight division. It might even help his durability. Who knows? Yep. You know? I, it, it's very weird to me. But in terms of this fight, I mean, look, I've never made it. <laughs> Johnny Walker, man. I think I faded him in his first four UFC fights. Finally Ooh. got him with Corey Anderson. But it I was like, there too. I always tell everybody before the Ledette fight, I'm like, this guy's a fucking fraud. Just wait. Let's <laughs> box his face off. 10 seconds. Sirkuna fight. I unloaded on Sirkuna. 30 seconds. It, it was just sickening. Um, but yeah, I guess one of the things I didn't give Walker enough credence for in his run-up it's not like he is about as skilled as I, you know, projected him to be, which I don't think is super skilled. I think he's always going to struggle with elite level fighters. He's just not on that level, but he's very explosive and he's a devastating, he has devastating power. And the reality of the situation is Walker's the kind of guy where it's like, I don't want to quite compare him to Francis. Like he's not at that level in terms of finishing ability, but it is high enough where it's like, he might have a 40% chance to just knock out anybody. Right. Like right off the bat, just because of how explosive he is. And so I'm always pretty cautious about fading him. I don't really like fading him with favorites. Um, and I say that because, to be honest, I was tempted to play Santos here. Like if Tiago's got anything left, like outside of typical Walker meme shit, he really shouldn't have a lot for Santos. He's just 
He's a much better striker in just about every dimension than Walker is. He does real attritional work, which Walker, we haven't even really seen have to deal with leg kicks or anything of that nature yet. But I really hated how Santos looked against Rockage. I thought he had a chance to win that fight, and he just seemed, you know, Rockage didn't even really do anything that was oh, that. He just you know, fainting, fainting yeah. got him back up to the gauge and then just kept him there at range. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was such a timid version of the Tiago Tiago Santos. Like we are used to seeing Santos being a wild man coming out there, throwing, throwing, throwing caution to the wind. And that guy was just gone. Like it's easy to forget, but Tiago Santos beat the shit out of Jan Bakovich like two and a half years ago. That guy I would be betting against at minus 150 against Johnny Walker pretty comfortably. But I didn't like how he looked against Rockich. Two knee surgeries. He did seem a bit slower against Rockich. And so him just dying here wouldn't shock me. So it's really hard for me to put money on him in this spot. In terms of a bet, like I have a bet on doesn't start round four with Vandal at minus 168. Uh, I but that line, that line is long gone. Yeah. Minus 168? Did not start round TV. four? Does not start round four, but it's what six minus three thirty right now on five. I know <laughs> minus four, minus two forty on Fanduel, which I think is still a great fucking line. It's crazy. Um, wow. I, I think the only way that won't hit is if Santos decides to wrestle heavy. But like the thing is, Santos isn't really a very good wrestler. You know, he doesn't attempt many takedowns, and he's not a great wrestler, even if he does. Like, you could compare the Krylov fight all day, but Krylov's a much better grappler yeah. than Thiago Santos is. So. I do th- I do like violence. Um, I'm trying to look at props here into like what I like. Honestly, like the under one and a half at even money is not that bad. I don't like under one and a halves. They make me nervous inside. Yeah. But like Walker is reliable to come out and force a crazy fight. He is not going to sit back and have a technical fight. And he, I mean, Walker knows what his best chance to win is, and he knows it's not to sit back and try to have a point fighting match with Tiago Santos. So he's going to come out there and bring it like. I guess ultimately where I would come down if I'm picking a prop is probably, again, I don't feel great about Santos at this stage of his career, at this age, off the surgeries and everything. But Santos ITD minus 120, I kind of feel like, you know, he is a level or two above in terms of like the technical ability. And to be honest, before the knee surgeries, he was probably on the level athletically that Walker is. But, you know, I think that's gone. Um, I kind of like Santos ITD minus 120. If you wanted to hedge that, I think playing Walker round one plus 450 plus 500, if you have one of those lines, is pretty good. Because I do think, you know, I mean, we've seen it with Walker. The guy has no gas tank. And for a reason, everything he does is explosive high energy. So I, I kind of think Walker's chance to finish his fight is probably the first seven to eight minutes, to be honest. It's mostly front loaded. So, yeah, I would say Santos ITD, Walker round one. Um I'm picking Santos, but again, I just really, really don't feel very good about Santos at this stage of his career. Yeah, I was going to say possible hedge opportunities for the Walker side of things if you are heavy on Tiago Santos, but if you don't want to hedge with Walker, Walker round one plus 400, Walker round two plus 625. So you have two of those options. I think anything after that, you know, it might be a little bit of a miracle for Walker to be able to get a victory outside of round two. Uh, Before we move on to the three, three best prop bets, I'm actually curious to hear your take on the Bellator main event tomorrow uh, between MVP and D- Douglas Lima going to it again. Have you taped that fight? Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that fight? Uh, wh- wh- where's your head at for that one? Uh, 
I was hoping Paige would be like a decent sized dog. I I can't play him as a favorite, you know. <laughs> you know, like it, it's I'm almost tempted to play. I I guess my view is, you know, if you're talking about technically, Lima's probably the better technician with more tools, but like man. Lima's activity in the octagon has been so poor lately, and it, it's just I can't really see past it. You know, the Musasi fight is forgivable, and I guess the Amasov fight is too. I just feel right. like I, I've always I feel I've there's always, an overcorrection, man. I feel there's an overcorrection here in Lima, but continue. oh, I don't think he should, look if he gets out to like plus one twenty five or something, I'm gonna take the shot just because at that point, like that's insulting. I think it's kind of insulting right now. I, I right. just I, I, I just always. I've always been a little hesitant on Lima just because anybody who's moderately busy can give him competitive minutes. And I do think Paige can make minutes competitive. Plus the fact that, you know, Paige fights Southpaw so much, it makes those calf kicks a bit less effective that Lima throws. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm like very tempted to play Lima anyway, just on principle, kind of to your point, like, Musasi's bigger and is one of the best fighters in like history, period. And Amasov is seems like he is the next big thing like i like amazon's game a lot. A, yeah he's carving out a pretty good spot for himself I, like i would be more okay with this kind of line if lima was fighting like logan story like that i could get because story is going to come at you and do things but page probably obliges him a technical kickboxing match and yeah i mean i like lima at the current money line but i don't really want to bet it just because the inactivity scares me what do you think yeah, it's uh, currently sitting at plus 110. The line keeps getting better, which is surprising to me. I honestly expected Lima to be up to like minus 150, minus 170. Uh, you know, going back and watching the first fight, the, the first round, you know, pretty much inactive until Lima gets that takedown, right? It was really just MVP dancing and doing his shit from the outside, not really landing anything significant. And then on the on the return, you got Douglas Lima landing good leg kick. So it's pretty much cancels itself out until Lima gets the fight to the ground. And then in the second round, not much happening other than MVP does land a pretty good shot where it seems to shake up Lima a bit. But from what people are making it sound like to what it was, they made it sound like he was on like Queer nah, Street, right? Nah, like he nah, was nah, just nah. completely out of it. No, he was fine. Like, yeah, he got hit and he showed a little bit of it, but he was still in the fight. And uh, he was able to obviously get that knockout after uh, MVP got a little bit too overzealous. And, and again, those leg kicks were starting to add up as well, in my opinion. Like you said, he fights out of southpaw at times, so that could nullify it. But I could still see him ripping kicks or even just doing a switch kick to the leg or something like that as well. Continue. I also think there's, like, something to be said for the fact that like you mentioned a recency bias. But, like, you look at the guys Lima's lost to. Like, Lima's been fighting high, high-level competition for years. And MVP – I mean, who was his last win? Um, Who's that? MVP. MVP's last win. Uh, I want to say it was that uh, Anderson guy. Derek yeah, Anderson. yeah, Derek Anderson. That's right. So he's been – he. I mean, he really, outside of like the bizarre fight he had with Paul Daly, which turned into a grappling match, which was one of the strangest things I've ever seen, and, you know, his fight with Lima, he really hasn't – I mean, they gave him Ross Houston, who's okay, but nothing special. He. I mean, he's basically been dumpstering cans forever. Let, let me just let, let me just quickly go over the five last wins that Michael Page has. All of them after he fought Douglas Lima. Richard Keeley, 3-1, flying knee <laughs> knockout. Gianni Melillo, 13-4, knocks him out in a minute and a half. Shinso Anzai, former UFC fighter. I bet Shinso Anzai against him. <laughs> knocks him out 23 <laughs> seconds into the second round. Aiden or Ross Houston, okay, respectable record. Obviously, I believe he was the guy that had that crazy fight with uh, Nick Dalby. Nick Dalby, yep, yeah. gets a decision victory over him. And then the Derek Derek Anderson one, where he just fucking fakes him into that beautiful head kick and gets him out of there too. But Douglas Lima is just another fucking level. Like he is, and the adversity aspect. It's like I, 
I've started to try to respect intangibles a lot more when it comes to capping MMA. And it's something I didn't do in the past, but like guys who haven't really been forced to, you know, dig deep often don't fare well. <clears throat> and we really haven't seen Paige get pushed into a dirty fight that he's probably going to have here. So I'm, I'm expecting to see Lima throw a little bit more here, to be honest, especially considering the rough run that he's currently on. I'm not making it a locker than I play by any means, but I think I'll have at least two units on the spot. I, I want to take a shot on, on Lima on the spot. I don't bet Bellator often that much, but this line just jumps out to me, unless there's something yeah. that I'm completely missing. Like, I know it's a three-rounder now compared to five that they had before. I know it's in London. Obviously, MVP has the, the hometown advantage in this fight. But again, like once they step in the cage, Douglas Lima, when he's on, he's fucking on, man. He's, he could look minus 200 hindsight here. He could look bigger than that. I mean, if he can get off on his kicks consistently, he's going to win the fight. I mean, it's really – I do think that Paige probably has better hands, slightly better. But, if, yeah, I mean, if he can get off with the kicks, it's hard. It's going to be tough for Paige. For sure. All right, let's get to the three best prop bets for you guys since that's probably everybody's favorite segment. Let's uh, share the screen right here, and I will kick things off like I always do. So first and foremost – I got to go with Alejandro Perez via decision at plus 250. I think he can survive that early on. Saw from Johnny Eduardo here and then push this fight later into it. Uh, I'd kind of be surprised if he finishes Eduardo. Eduardo, although 41 years old, could look look to be fragile at this point in time. But I do think th that we see Perez grind this out over 50 minutes and win that fight. Next up, I got to go with Sirkinov via sub at plus 300. I think he grounds Jotko. I think he's going to be the much stronger fighter in this. And I think he's going to be much more craftier on the ground. And I think that Sirkinov will be able to wrap him up into a pretzel and then submit his ass probably within the first uh, two rounds of this fight. And then lastly, I got to go with Santos via KO plus 105. You know, I think Walker is just way too edible, way too wild. Santos, very disciplined, uh, should be able to counter effectively here and then eventually find that button to put Johnny Walker out. Uh, I do obviously want to say the honorable mentions, the over two and a half in the Dacus and Holland fight is very intriguing to me and I, I'm going to give uh, John the, the shout out here with that the Silva Deandrade sub plus 1400 I think that's very intriguing as well and then lastly of course Aspen Lad round three plus 1100 gotta take a little bit of a stab on that John you're up brother yeah so first up we got Jared Gordon via decision plus 250 I absolutely love everything about Jared Gordon in this fight I think if there's anybody that's going to get significant top time here it's likely to be Gordon I think on the feet he's just gonna his pressure and volume is just gonna be way too much for Selecki just a much more proven fighter against you know a decent prospect in Joe Selecki who I just think is outmatched here and ultimately I picked the decision prop because I don't think Gordon finishing Selecki on the mat is at all likely to happen and gordon hasn't really demonstrated a lot of one punch power on the feet but i do think he should be a sizable favorite and i think decision plus 250 is a steal uh yeah next up we got aspen lad itd plus 200 once again i played lad on the money line i like her a lot here i just ultimately think she's a level above and everybody that shasen's been fighting We've seen Shasan have major issues on the map before, and we know Aspen Ladd is going to go forward and look to take her down and get it there. And once it's there, grappling's very low variance. Ladd's a super dangerous finisher in top position, and Kiasin is pretty bad on her back. I just kind of think if Ladd does what she needs to do to win, she's going to give herself ample opportunities to finish this fight, and I, I like her by inside the distance here. And yeah, last up, we got Alexander Hernandez via KO plus 150. I just guess I think it's a mismatch. I kind of think the reason it's a plus it's a plus money play instead of you know being like minus one fifty is just you know Hernandez doesn't knock out a ton of guys, but if you actually go back you know regionally and when he has taken a step down, you actually see the guy can hit pretty hard. He's iced Benil Dariush, he iced Chris Gritzmacher, who's famously durable. 
he's just on a very different level than Breeden. He's a lot faster, a lot sharper, and he hits pretty hard. I kind of think if it doesn't happen early, it's probably inevitable. So, yeah, I really like Hernandez at KO. All right, let's move on to Cody's three best prop bets. Uh, first off, he likes Rosa via decision at minus 165, a little bit chalky there, but seems to be the best path to victory for Rosa in that fight against Petskoya. Uh, Next up, he has Dawkins via decision. He actually thinks that Dawkins will be able to grind out Kevin Holland in this fight, and he likes that price at plus 240. And then lastly, he likes O'Neal via submission, plus 400. So he's heavily going across, <laughs> going against that Shevchenko pick that me and uh, me and uh, Fox, or me and John had earlier in this podcast. Podcast. So there you guys go. Top three best prop bets, at least in our opinions, me, John, and Cody. Um, and, and yeah, that's pretty much wrap on UFC Vegas 38 and a little bit of, of that uh, Bellator love for you guys as well for that main event. I know a lot of people wanted some information on that. John, uh, anything you want to wrap this bitch up on and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bring it on old. Yeah, guys, just stop by every Wednesday night, club and sub channel in the description, 10 p.m. Eastern. We break down every card. And yeah, you know, thanks for having me on again, Locke. Love doing the show with you. And guys, I know I was wrong on Edson Barboza. Bet Jared Gordon <laughs> and thank me for the money. You can make back the Barboza money here. You know, you know, people are going to be coming for your head next week if, if it know, doesn't come through, right? <laughs> Fortunately, he's not going to lose, so no one's going to be coming for me. <laughs> Shout out to my guy, Chris Harm here, t-shirt, sticking with the gimmick. I love it. At this point in time, it's going to be an inside joke, and it's just going to stay between me and Chris. Love you, Chris. Uh, but yeah, John, thank you, as always, for joining me for these Fight Night episodes. Uh, we'll see you again, obviously, next week for... What, what's next week's card? Is that Mackenzie and, uh, and Rodriguez? Yeah, it's a weird card. <laughs> yeah, weird card, but obviously, we're going to be here every Thursday evening for you guys, 8 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys join us next week as well. Tomorrow, Ultimate Weigh-In Show, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, 99% confirmed guest, but I still don't want to drop his name. It is another solid head coach that should be able to give us some good insight on the fights coming up this weekend. Uh, but until he gives me that hundred percent green light, I don't want to drop his name. So, uh, stick, stay tuned regardless tomorrow, 9 PM Eastern. I will be back for the ultimate weigh-in show, whether it's with that guest or whether it's with somebody else. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, and then fight day, obviously fight day live chat nine or 1 PM Eastern. I believe we have an early start for the card this week as well. 4 p.m. Eastern prelim start time, which is always great. That's great, <laughs> so you yeah. Get to bet at a Bro, reasonable time. I, I like. I, I hate the 10 p.m. start times. Like I, when that happens, I wish I lived on the West Coast. It's like it's yeah. so nice for them. They get done at like pay per views end at like 10:30. Like that must be a beautiful thing. I believe October 16th or October 23rd, one of those two cards, 1 p.m. Eastern start time. So I love that. Better for I, mean, the, I, I miss the Euro cards. I need more of them. I yes, those Filipino cards, uh, <laughs> the Filipino and fucking Chinese cards. 6 a.m. 6 a.m. Yeah. Good old days. John Hathaway and fucking whoever the fuck he was fighting back then. Uh, Dong and Kim, that's what it was. Um, but yeah, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern start time. But you guys will be able to catch me right here on this channel, 1 p.m. Eastern for the Fight Day Live chat. On behalf of myself and John, Appreciate you guys hanging with us on this Thursday evening. Good luck in your best this weekend. And I'll see you guys tomorrow night for the Ultimate Wayne Show, 9 p.m. Eastern. War, Jared Gordon for uh, Jared John. Gordon. And war, somebody getting slept in that main event. Chalky as hell, but fuck you guys. It's going to happen. Peace out.